Well, good morning. So, but as we get into our, our time this morning, what we're going to be looking at is getting grounded. And I want to answer the question, how do I become a good servant of Jesus Christ and experience God's power in my life? Now, before we get into this, what I want to do is I want to pray and ask God's blessing upon this message. Pray that he will give us strength to be able to have open hearts to hear and just ask that his, his blessing would go before us as we, we look into his word. Will you pray with me? God, you are awesome. What an amazing love that you have given to us. Forgive us of our lack of amazement of you, Lord. And right now, we want to consider your great love for us. And thank you for sending your son to die here on this cross for us. Use this message to speak to our hearts and desire change in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would use this message to, to prod me along. Lord, I thank you for the work that I've been able to do and for the, the, the time that I've been able to spend in your word. Lord, I'm encouraged by that each and every day. Lord, may I learn from this as well. For it's in your name I pray. Amen. We are living in curious times. The integrity of our lives and the content of our message has of late come under serious scrutiny. Look all around us. Gay marriages are becoming legal. Prayer is being banned in the public schools. The Ten Commandments are being thrown out of the courts. The days are gone in which the phony can survive. We need to start living our lives in a way that people see Christ through our lifestyles. Now, I read an article recently in World Magazine called Keeping It Real. And in this article, it was discussing the differences between the boomers and the Gen Xers. And what it was that was attracting different generations to the churches. In this article, it mentioned that most young people are being attracted to certain churches because they long to learn from a person who is honest about his struggles and who passionately longs to be spiritually transformed. They are looking for a person who is not a fake person, who wears a fake smile and pretends at a fake relationship with his wife. People today are desperately searching for that genuine Christian. You know what? We must be that genuine Christian. We must be the one that is willing to stay strong in the faith that we know to be true. We must be the ones that quit putting up that fake front that makes people think that we are the perfect Christian. Yet, when real, all reality is, is we struggle with sin. We should stand strong in the foundation of Jesus Christ when the heat is on. Because we know it is not easy. But when we stay grounded in what we know to be our duty as a worthy servant of Jesus Christ, we see genuine Christianity being brought about, which in turn brings changed lives. Now, we have a number of contractors and a few electricians in our church that would understand the purpose of a ground wire. Now, for most of us lay people, such as myself, we just think it's an extra wire that just gets in the way of things, right? Well, it has no purpose, but we're going to learn that that is not the case. In studying for this message, I learned that the term ground in the electrical world refers to a connection to the earth. 
A ground wire provides a conducting path to the earth, which is independent of the normal current carrying path in electrical appliance. In layman's terms, to be grounded is to have protection. A ground wire serves as the main protection against a hazardous electrical shock. The protection of a ground wire acts the same way in the electrical world as does the protection that we receive when we are following the spiritual disciplines of the Christian life. Now, in this illustration, we're all individual appliances that have electricity of everyday life running through them. In our life of living as different appliances, each of us gets sent struggles or temptations that cause us to have to use this ground as protection. The ground wire, which is Jesus Christ, helps to supply a path for our struggles and our temptations to follow so that they can't cause serious damage. Listen to 1 Corinthians 10.13 here as it says this. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Now, in order for this ground wire to work in the real world, we have to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. One day, we will all stand before God, and he will do an audit of our own lives, a final exam before we enter into eternity. The Bible says this in Romans 14, 10, for we will all stand before God's judgment seat. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Now, fortunately here, God wants us to pass this test. And he has given us two questions in advance from the Bible that we can surmise that God is going to ask. The first question is, first, what did you do with my son, Jesus Christ? You know what? God is not going to ask us about our religious background. God is not going to ask us about our doctrinal views. The only thing that will matter is, did you accept Jesus Christ for what he did for you on the cross? And did you learn to love and trust him? Jesus says this in John 14, 12, or 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now the second question here that's going to be asked is he's going to ask you, what did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with your life? All your gifts, all your talents, all your opportunities, the energy that you had, your relationships, the resources that God gave you. What did you do with it? Did you spend them on yourself? Or did you use them for the purposes for which God gave them to you for? Let me ask you this question. Do you know Christ? Are you protected from the hazardous shocks and the struggles and the temptations that can happen to you? Is Christ acting as your spiritual ground? Now, if you can't answer that question, then for sure, you need to, you need to evaluate your life, and you need to make a change. If you can't answer that question, then I want you to listen up. Because you need to be working at growing in your relationship with Christ. You can't just stop there. In order for you to stay grounded, you need to keep growing in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And this morning, we're going to discuss our spiritual ground. 
our relationship with God and its power to change lives and to produce real Christians, not fake actors. What we're going to look at is we're going to look at three ways for us to get grounded in our lives. The first one is, is we need to know God. We need to practice the spiritual disciplines of the Christian life. Second, we're going to look at pleasing God. We're going to try to understand our purpose and how it is that we can be used by God. And third, we're going to learn to serve God. And we're going to develop a servant attitude or a heart in order to stay grounded in our relationship with God. First, I want us to look at this point. How is it that we are to stay grounded? How do we stay grounded? Well, that's by knowing God. We need to know God. And Paul gave Timothy some great advice about being a good servant of Jesus Christ. He says this, Discipline yourselves, in 1 Timothy 4, 7, for the purpose of godliness. Listen to that again. Discipline yourselves for the purpose of godliness. You know, one of the examples that he used was that of exercise. We all know that exercise can be very painful and never-ending at times. But when we spend the time and energy in training ourselves for fitness, it promises to help us to make a healthy person. Now, let's make this practical. How do we get grounded? Well, by knowing God. So, how do we know God? By practicing the spiritual disciplines of the Christian life. Well, what are the spiritual disciplines of the Christian life? Well, they are the God-given means to which we are used to help us grow and to mature and become like Christ. In 2 Timothy 3, Paul is giving Timothy some great pointers on how to get grounded. He's saying that all Scripture is God-breathed and it's useful for something. Did you know that? God's Word is useful for things. God's Word has pointers. It can be used for things. In order for us to use it, we have to first hear it. So, there's no better way to get grounded than the intake of God's Word. Nothing can substitute for it. There's simply no healthy Christian life apart from the diet of the milk and meat of scriptures. The reasons for this are obvious. The Bible tells us about God himself, and especially about Jesus Christ and his love for us. None of the essential information can be found elsewhere except for in the Bible. Therefore, if we're to know God and be godly, we must, must know God's word and him intimately. So the easiest of the spiritual disciplines is simply this. We need to hear God's word. Why do we consider this a discipline? Well, because if we don't consider it a discipline, we may hear it only accidentally. Or we may hear it just when we feel like hearing it. Or we may never even hear it at all. For most of us, disciplining ourselves to hear God's word means developing the practice of attending a church regularly, where God's word is faithfully preached. Jesus said in Luke eleven twenty eight, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Here's the point, though. Merely listening to God's word is not what we're supposed to do. The purpose of all methods of Bible intake is obedience to what God's word says and the development of Christ-likeness. So in 1 Timothy 4.13, the Apostle Paul instructs his young friend in the ministry. He says this, Until I come, 
devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to the preaching and to the teaching. Though a lot more explanation could be given here, it's enough to say that the important thing here that we're trying to say is that in the ministry of Paul, he was saying it was important to listen to God's word. And God is saying it's important to listen to my word. So since this is so, it should become a spiritual discipline, a priority for us to hear. A second discipline would be that of reading God's word. Now, have you guys ever heard of a squatter? If you've ever lived in Seattle or any other urban area, you're familiar with the term squatter. A squatter is a person who occupies an abandoned building that they don't own or don't rent. There, li there lives the issue. They live here and they refuse to leave. They hunker down, even though the promise of something better could improve their life situation. They choose to stay right where they are, content that they no longer live on the street. They don't look for anything more in life. Now, whether you've been in ministry for three years or 30 years, whether you have a PhD or a degree from the School of Hard Knocks, whether you're up to date on the latest computer software or are still using Windows XP, you and I are never too far along to learn. As Rick Warren wrote in The Purpose Driven Life, the moment you stop learning is the moment you stop leading. A survey taken by the Barna Research Group among those claiming to be born-again Christian disclosed these disheartening numbers. Listen to this. They found out only 18%, less than two of every 10 people, read the Bible every day. Can you believe that? If we think it's a priority in our lives, if we think God needs to be in our lives, why aren't we reading his word? In 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul tells us that God's word is useful for teaching. We constantly need to nourish ourselves on the word of God. One of the works of a good servant of Christ is that he is a faithful conduit of the truth to other Christians. The meaning of a conduit is that which passes through, a person through whom information is transmitted. Paul was telling Timothy this, that he needed to keep recharging himself so that the information that he was passing on to others was fresh. To attempt to help a person spiritually while at the same time neglecting one's own spiritual life is a sham. Anyone who fails to take nourishment daily from the word of God is hurting himself and hurting his ministry. It's much too easy and tragically too common to become so busy doing ministry or doing life that we forfeit the greatest privilege and most essential priority of all, our own personal walk with God. There are a number of other spiritual disciplines that we could follow and should follow let me list just a few of those. Those others include prayer, worship, evangelism, service, stewardship, fasting, silence and solitude, journaling and learning. This by no means is an exhaustive list of the spiritual disciplines of the Christian living. But here's what I want you to get. Whatever the discipline, its most important feature is its purpose. 
There is little value in practicing these spiritual disciplines apart from the single person purpose that unites them. And that purpose is godliness. Thus we are told in 1 Timothy 4.7, discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. Now, we just finished talking about how we can achieve this purpose. But truly, truly understand what our purpose is. Why are we here? When it comes to discipline in the Christian life, many believers feel that discipline without direction is like doing a strenuous activity that involves difficulty and effort and usually affords no pleasure. So this leads me to my second point. Why do we need to be be grounded? Well, we need to be grounded because we need to please God by understanding what our purpose is here on this earth. Greyhound racing. It's a popular betting sport in some parts of the country. It attracts crowds who enjoy watching incredibly sleek and beautiful dogs run as fast as they can around a track. Now, unlike racehorses, greyhounds run without the assistance of a jockey. So to keep the dogs running in the right direction, they are trained to chase a mechanical rabbit. It's made of fur that zips along the track in front of them. A man in the press box electronically controls the speed of the rabbit by keeping the rabbit just out in front of the dogs, and the dogs are never able to catch up. At a Florida track some years back, a big race was about to begin, and the dogs crouched in their cages. They were ready to go, while betting spectators finished placing their wagers. At the proper moment, the gun went off. The man in the press box pushed his lever, starting the rabbit down the first stretch, while the cage doors flew open, releasing the dogs to take off after this little rabbit. As the rabbit made the first turn, however, an electrical short in the system caused the rabbit to come to a complete stop, to explode, and go up in flames. Poof! All that was left of the big, big, big black rabbit was just this puff of fur that was hanging at the end of a wire. Now, with the rabbit gone, the bewildered dogs didn't know how to act. So according to news reports, several dogs simply stopped running and laid down on the track. Their tongues were hanging out. Two dogs, still frenzied with the chase, ran into a wall, breaking several ribs. Another dog began to chase his tail, while the rest howled at the people in the stands. You know what? Not one dog finished the race. Like racing greyhounds, people pursue their chosen rabbit. Humans need some reason for living, for running the race. What is your goal? What is your purpose in life? What is your hope? What if it was taken away? Sadly, many people chase an illusion, a mechanical rabbit of sorts, which ultimately turns out to offer no hope at all. Paul the Apostle wrote this out in Philippians 1, chapter chapter 1, verse 21. And this is what kept him motivated to run the race. He says this, For me to live is Christ. You know, Jesus is the only one who can give us a lasting purpose, meaning, and hope. 
Paul later wrote this in Philippians 3.14. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. To know Christ is the only lasting eternal goal. So, the purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment. Your peace of mind, or even your happiness. Did you know this? It's even far greater than your family. Your career. Or even your wildest dreams or ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you need to first begin with God. You were born by His purpose. And for his purpose. The search for purpose in life has puzzled people for thousands of years. Because that's, that's because we typically begin with the wrong starting point. We begin with ourselves. We ask self-centered questions like, what do I want to be? What should I do with my life? What are my goals, my ambitions, my dream for my future? But we're focusing on ourselves. And we never really realize what our true life's purposes are. The Bible says this in Romans 12, 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, His pleasing, and His perfect will. You know, it's only God, in God, that we discover our origin, our identity, our meaning, our purpose, our significance, and our destiny. Every other path leads to a dead end. Many people try to use God for their own self-actualization, but it, it's a reversal of nature that is doomed to fail. You were made for God, not vice versa. And life is about letting God use you for his purpose, not you're using him for your own purpose. The Bible says this in 2 Timothy 3.17, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped, equipped for every good work that he has for us. Are you equipped to fulfill your God-given purpose? Are you heading in the right direction? Or do you have something else that you're trying to live for? The only way that you're going to stay grounded is if you please God by understanding your purpose. Our third point for today is this. What do I do once I'm grounded? What do I do once I am grounded? Well, here's what we do. We need to serve God by developing a servant attitude. I want to tell you this story about John. John saw people love each other. He saw that love made a strenuous demand on his lovers. He saw love required sacrifice and self-denial. He saw that love produced arguments, jealousy, and sorrow. John decided that love, it cost too much. He decided not to diminish his life with love. John saw people strive for distant, hazy goals. He saw men strive for success and women strive for high ideals. He saw that striving was often mixed with disappointment. He saw strong and committed men fail. He saw weak and undeserving men succeed. He saw that striving sometimes forced people into pettiness and greed. John, he decided 
that costs too much. So he's not going to soil his life with striving. John saw people serving others. He saw men give money to the poor and helpless. He saw that the more he served, the faster the need grew. He saw ungrateful receivers turn on their serving friends. John decided not to soil his life with serving. When John died, he walked up to God and presented his life to God. Undiminished, unmarred, and unsoiled. The man was clean and untouched by the filth of the world. And he presented him to God proudly by saying, God, here is my life. And this is what God said. Life? What life? God doesn't want us to insulate ourselves with the pain and, from the t- pain and suffering of the world. When we love others, when we serve others, and strive to be that all God wants us to be, we get dirty, we get hurt, we get used. But those are the battle scars that God wants to see when we face him someday. God wants us to get in the game. He wants us to get our uniforms dirty. And that's what Jesus did when he came into the world. He didn't choose to play it safe. And neither should we. In order to stay grounded in our relationship with God, we are to develop our servant attitude of Christ, which calls for humility and obedience. Let me say that again. In order for us to stay grounded in our relationship with Christ, we are to develop a servant attitude of Christ, which calls for humility and obedience. In his instructions to his disciples about servanthood, Jesus, the Son of Man, described his own role of service. In Matthew 20, 27 through 28, it says this, And whoever desires to be the first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Here's my understanding of what a servant of God should be like. It should be more like the potter and the clay. God described his relationship to Israel this way, as being like a potter with his clay in Jeremiah 18, 1 through 6. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house. And I saw him working at the wheel, but the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping as as it seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter does, declares the Lord. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel." To be useful, the clay has to be moldable. And once it is made into a vessel, it has to remain in the hand of the potter to be used. Clay that is not moldable is not useful. The clay has to be responsive to the potter. So the potter can make any vessel of his own choosing. Then the clay vessel has to remain in the potter's hand. Because when the potter has finished making the vessel of his choosing, that vessel has no ability to do anything whatsoever without him. It now has to remain in the potter's hand. 
Suppose the potter molds the, the clay into a cup, and the cup has to remain in the potter's hand so that the potter can use that cup any way that he chooses. You know what? That is very different from the way that a servant works for a human master, right? When you come to God as his servant, he first wants you to allow him to mold you and to shape you into the measurement instrument of his choosing. Then he can take your life and put it where he wills and to work through you to accomplish his purposes. Just as a cup cannot do anything on its own, you do not have the ability to do the command of the Lord apart from him. As you obey, he does his work through you. A servant of God has two things. First, to be moldable, and then second, remain available for the master, the potter's use. Then the master can use that instrument as he chooses. The servant can do nothing of kingdom value by himself or herself. As Jesus said in John 15, 5, without me, you can do nothing. With God working through his servant, that servant can do anything that God can do. Can you think of that unlimited potential? A servant can do anything that God can do with him working in your life. Servanthood does require obedience. A servant of God must do what he is instructed, and he must remember who, he, who is accomplishing the work. God is the one accomplishing that work. In a seminary missions class, Hubert Jackson told how as a new missionary, he was assigned a car that would not start without a push. After pondering his problem, he devised this plan. He went to the school near his home. He got permission to take some children out of class, and he had them push his car off. As he made his rounds, he would either park on a hill or leave the engine running. He used this ingenious procedure for two years. Ill health forced the Jackson family to leave, and a new missionary came to the station. When Jackson proudly began to explain his arrangement for getting the car started, the new man began looking under the hood. And before the explanation was complete, the new missionary interrupted him. Why, Dr. Jackson, I believe that the only trouble is this loose cable here. He gave the cable a twist, stepped into the car, Pushed the switch, and to Jack Jackson's astonishment, the engine roared to life. For two years, needless trouble had become a routine. The power was there all the time. Only a loose connection kept Jackson from putting the power to work. Where is your source of power coming from? Are you grounded in God's word? I want you to think about these questions. How do I stay grounded? Why do I need to be grounded? What do I do once I am grounded? Jesus Christ is our ground wire. He is the one who helps supply a path for our struggles that we face. Now, I've just talked about how we can experience God's power in our lives. I want us to get a little bit practical here. What are we doing to make this happen? What are some things that we can do in our lives to stay grounded in God's word. Well, each one of you this morning has already made an effort to accomplish 
one of the easier ways to experience God's path to help us. And that is through hearing God's word preached. Great job. I commend you for your spiritual discipline of coming on a regular basis to hear God's word preached. But don't stop there. What is another step that you can make? You may or may not know that we record each of the messages that are preached. And they are available for you to take home with you to use throughout the week. It could be that maybe you heard a great message that really spoke to you. You know what? I encourage you. Pick up a CD. Take it with you. Go online to our website so that you can listen to it again throughout the week. You don't have to just make Sunday the only time that you hear God's word. I have found that if I take a CD home with me of the message for that week and listen to it again during the week, there are a number of things that I had missed the first time around. And I am thoroughly encouraged again after listening to it. I want you to try to increase your hearing of God's word this week. And as you do that, God will help you make it through your struggles and through your temptations. Another thing that you can do is to improve your intake is by reading God's word every day. Now, I know some of you already do this. You have this habit, and I'm very proud of you for doing that. But just like the missionary that I talked about previously, don't get stuck in a routine that causes you to get relaxed and vulnerable. Each one of us needs to set goals of earnestly attempting to read the Bible every day and completing an entire book after several days. God's word is alive and it's very active. We will never know this unless we are immersing ourselves within it. Now, I want each one of us to push ourselves a step further than what we are doing right now. Now, if you're not reading the Bible right now on a consistent basis, then I want you to set this goal. Set this goal of getting three days, at least three days in this week of reading your word. And then the next week, try to make it four days. And so on, until you have made it a habit. Now, if you've already made it a habit, then take it this next step further. By digging deeper into the passage of reading. Don't just come and sit there and read and say, okay, I'm done. Dig into the passage. Find out what God is actually speaking to you about. What is it that you can learn from this passage? Find some inexpensive workbooks, study guides on every book in the Bible, and get to know God deeper on a level that you have not been at before. You will never be able to know everything. In fact, it seems like the more that I learn and the more I grow, the more I find out, the less I know. God just doesn't want us to just exist. He wants us to continue to strive, to become more like Him. Finally, what you can do is to improve on your intake, is to join a Sunday school class. Being a part of one of these will help you stay consistent with hearing and studying God's Word. In a small group, you have accountability. And with accountability comes encouragement. It comes love and support. No one can be motivated all the time, and each one of us needs to be sharpened. Proverbs 27, 17 says this, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. God uses others to keep us grounded. So that brings us back to what I mentioned at the beginning. We are living in curious times. 
The integrity of our lives and the content of our message has of late come under serious scrutiny. The days are gone in which the phony can survive. We need to start living our lives in a way that people see Christ through our lifestyles. You know, people today are desperately searching for that genuine Christian. And we must be that genuine Christian. We must be the one that is willing to stay strong in our faith that we know to be true. We must quit putting up that fake front that makes people think we are the perfect Christian. Yet underneath, we struggle with sin. Standing strong in the foundation of Jesus Christ when the heat is on is never easy. But when we stay grounded in what we know to be our duty as a worthy servant of Jesus Christ, we see genuine Christianity brought about, which in turn brings changed lives. I want to close with this verse found in 1 Timothy 4, 15 through 16. Give your complete attention to these matters. Throw yourself at your tasks so that everyone will see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Stay true to what is right, and God will save you and those who hear you. Are you grounded this morning? Are you getting grounded? Work on these things. Let's pray. God, you are awesome. Christ Jesus, we, we could not be here in your presence on our own. Every blessing that we have, every privilege that we have is ours because of what you have done for us on the cross. Lord, I pray that we would not take advantage of what it is that you have done for us. Our relationship needs to improve. Our relationship needs to be growing. I pray for each person here in this room, myself included, that I would become more like you. In my thinking, in the words that I say, in my studying, in the things that I do. Lord, thank you for your example that you've set before us. Thank you for your word, that we can study it and hear it preached. Thank you for revealing yourself to us. Lord, I pray right now that the cry of our hearts is to follow you. We don't want to turn back. We don't want to lose our focus. We are weak and we need your strength to say the course and to focus on the goal. We will follow your lead. It's because of you. It's in your name I pray. Amen. So where are you this morning? Are you in that position where you're doing the routine and doing what you've always done and missing the source of power that God is there all along? I pray that's not the case. If it is, walk out of here changed. If you are doing what you know you're supposed to be doing, let's ask God to, to take it to that next level, to make that change, to be different. This morning as we close, we're going to sing about uh, how great our God is. You know, God is great. He is awesome. He loves us. He knows us. Let's continue to search and, and search him out. As we stand and sing, will you stand and join him with us? The opportunity is yours to come down front, to come here and say, I want to walk out of here different. I want to make a change. I want to be more like Christ. You can do that. We have a deacon who will come out down here and pray with you.
If that's your desire, heed to God's calling on your life.